how do you get them? You gotta, you gotta entice them to live here. They gotta want to live in Michigan. And it's the same things that encourage somebody to want to move here and live here or invest here or go to school here are the same reasons you go on vacation here, guys. Like this isn't rocket science, but there's just a lack of connection between the idea that pure Michigan is not a tourism driven decision. It's it's a state esprit de corps thing where it's keeping us proud as Michiganders to live here. And it's making everyone around us wish they were here. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? All right, kicking off the podcast today with some exciting new association news from the MRLA, which will soon be the Hospitality Association of Michigan. We are going through a strategic rebrand of the association again to be all encompassing of the hospitality industry and have that in our name. So we wanted to kick off that announcement here on this episode today. Justin? It's strategic. It's smart. We use the word hospitality all the time to describe the industry, to describe ourselves. Sometimes restaurant and lodging can get clunky. Sometimes one industry feels like they're secondary to another. We are one united hospitality industry. We are one association representing that industry, the Hospitality Association of Michigan, the ham. So what's with the ham? I mean, I think that would make more sense. We're We're still in talks on the logo, but having a ham with some pineapple chunks, maybe some slices on top to represent the pineapple side of the industry is good. But the ham is unique. I think it'll be signature. It represents the name and it represents who we are. A pineapple glaze goes on ham. My new colors will be pink and yellow. I'm in. Who wouldn't be in? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Happy April Fool's Day, everyone. I think we had them. I think people really believe that the association was going to be the ham. It is a food product. Why wouldn't it be? Not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. Kind of a phony idea. I don't really know. It's fine. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. Can we just move on? Yeah, let's get into uh, Ham Express. I mean, Pineapple Express. Oh, I just got like... Your dad jokes are worse than mine. And that's saying something. Take those. Uh, yeah, listen. I mean, the, the listeners need to know this is the first time we're not even together. It's spring break. I'm up north uh, with the family, but through the power of Zoom, the What's With The Pineapple podcast goes on. It's, it's a little weird because we have been literally for 18 episodes in the exact same room, mm-hmm. feeding off each other's nonverbal cues to understand who goes where, when, that, that impeccable comic timing always there impeccable will it will it carry through on zoom i don't know tough to tell we'll find out well we've already killed it with the april fool's day prank so i think we edited that out so it won't even be in here so we'll have to now edit this out we're off to a great start as always all right so playing off of the last episode the top topic that we talked about we unfortunately did not get former ceo of starbucks Howard Schultz in as a guest. So Joe, get well, yeah. Keep, keep working on that. Yeah. Yeah. 
but the the Senate committee hearing was yesterday. Yeah, it was. I thought it lived up to the hype. Actually, it was it was good. I watched at least the first almost two hours, two hours worth, and I was surprised how well Howard Schultz comported himself. And the the, the top line takeaway for me was frankly that Starbucks and and also Howard came across better after the hearing than before. I thought he had a great platform to share all the innovative things that Starbucks has done over its history and how it has sort of set the trend for the industry in a lot of different ways on wages and benefits in a positive way. And he had that platform to do it. And I I felt like, I know I'm a partisan a little bit on this one, but I thought Bernie overreached Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit and he came across as overreaching. Some of the members on his side of the aisle did a better job of balancing the good with the bad. But overall, I, I just think the takeaway is it was a good move for Howard Schultz. It was a good move for Starbucks to have that that opportunity. And I have to imagine the powers that be on the other side of this issue, namely SEIU, didn't love that you may have created some more sympathy and support, frankly, for Starbucks and what it's done over its history than than where they were coming in before and the narrative that was that was there, certainly by the title, uh, that was leading you to the end conclusion on what the hearing was all about to begin with. So yeah, no, I think I, I thought it turned out pretty well for Howard. And that's why it's going to be great when he gets on and has a chance to share his thoughts with us uh, directly. I think that'll be important. Joe, make sure we have that for episode 20. I agree with you. I think he kept his composure the entire time. And despite people yelling at him or coming at him from one side, he kept his cool and he was very direct in addressing their questions and expressing, you know, the steps that they've taken to try to move forward in the the way that they're required to by the law, as well as the benefits and the wages that the employees of the organization receive. So, it was a little like Bravo reunion TV esque when I was watching it, which I've. I don't I've know found... what that means. Okay, of course you don't. It was entertaining. Let's just leave it no. at that. It was entertaining. It turned into a clown show at some points. I mean, they were left vulnerable. Some of the Republican senators throwing out urban crime statistics and buying Biden being weak on urban crime and tying that to Starbucks was so out in left field, but sort of kind of tangentially related at best. To, to work into there was fascinating. It, it kind of was a clown show, but it also had some, some, frankly, some good substance too. Do you think, I thought it was stellar move by Howard Schultz to bring his Starbucks cup up there with him. So he got the branding, he got the logo. Do you think he had an olive oil latte in that cup? Yes, without question. Yeah, it's in the zeitgeist. So, I mean, if people are talking about it, he wants them to to be all in. It's a smart play. I think that's why how he was able to keep his composure, the extra nutrients and benefits of the olive oil and the coffee. I mean, check and check. Smooth. Very smooth. All right. What else we got in the current events segment? Yeah. So Chicken Guy opens today, assuming this comes out on April 1st, but it opens um, in Livonia. That's Guy Fieri's restaurant. It's the first in Michigan and it's being opened by the Tomi Group, which and this they is are- a real story. We, we should make sure people understand just because it's April 1st and Guy Fieri is involved does not mean this is an April Fool's joke. Guy Fieri literally does have a chicken concept called Chicken Guy! Exclamation point. And it is coming to Michigan in a big way. Yeah, they are bringing 20 
20 locations to Michigan. And it's their first step into the the franchising field for the brand. So they chose Michigan as the first place to go for that and the Detroit area as step one, location one specifically. And I think that that speaks volumes to the hospitality industry in Michigan. Well, you know, I will always honor the mayor of Flavortown. He is a world-class entertainer, a great restaurateur. Glad he's in Michigan. He's in Michigan a lot. Yeah. Uh, and he seems to love Michigan. And I love that he chose Tony Group. Good MRLA member, as it is right now. Huge Jimmy John's franchisee. So happy to see them. We know that they have a proven track record and they'll be expanding and growing that location. And uh, I, have a, I have a hunch it's going to do quite well. Absolutely. There's a great photo of you with uh, a photo of Guy Fieri from a conference that we were at. Let's see if I, I'll, I'll see if I can dig that one up. I celebrate his entire collection. Big fan. Big. Hey, let's get him on the podcast. We might be able to. He's actually he's actually close personal friends with the CEO of the California Restaurant Association. So that's not completely impossible. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll book him directly after Howard Schultz. Yeah, we could do like maybe a dual situation, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, we actually have to, we can't keep joking about these guests because really at the end of the day, we have to land one of them actually as a, as a real guest. I think I think we could get Guy. Let's do it. All right. Last but certainly not least, well, maybe least on the list is this headline. Give me your straight reaction to this headline. Panera Bread wants to read palms for loyalty and payment. My reaction is where do you keep getting these stories? Where do you find these stories? I, I, it's fascinating. It's drawing attention. I don't know if I have a real strong opinion other than I am a frequent customer of Panera Bread. So uh, this is going to come my way in one way, shape or form. They'll have your DNA before you know it. So the chain is launching a pilot of the Amazon One payment system, which is a contactless technology that allows users to link their loyalty cards and credit card information to the signature of the palm of their hand. So this is, you don't have an iPhone, which we could talk about that for a couple of hours here, but um, it's the face I ID. A, I have an elite Android. I do too, oh. Justin. You See? do? This is the first, mark, it, mark it down. The first time Joe has been on my side on an issue, the entirety of this podcast. Oh, take that, Daunt. I got to go. I got to get out of here. This is really just, dis- I'm, I'm thoroughly disappointed. Well, there's this thing called Face ID that Apple does. I don't know if your Androids have that, but essentially it registers your face and eye contact to unlock your phone. So I view this as a similar concept, except it's connected to your credit card and your hand signature. So basically when you go to Panera Bread, you can put your hand on a POS system instead of swiping your card and it's just that much quicker. Wow. I've always thought just putting my phone up was taking too long. So now just my palm makes a lot more sense. Okay. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. There's a process. That segment of the industry is all about speed and, and transitioning people through efficiently. I don't know. What do you yeah. think? Do you, do you intend to use it? I don't. It, it, it weirds me out too much. I don't, I only use face ID to unlock my phone and nothing else. Like I could set it up as a password for all of my like social media accounts, bank account, things like that. And it just, how far is too far, you know? Fair. Also, Fair. I feel like we're becoming less patient as a society. And I don't know that I want to contribute to that. That is millennial wisdom right there. Powerful. Sometimes I choose the longer line at the grocery store just to test out my own patience level. So anyway, we don't I, have to get into that. I have a unique ability to choose the slowest line whenever there is a line and I have to choose amongst several. I have, I don't know what it is, but every time it's, Honestly, it, it is. I somehow find the line 
that I think is going to work. And I am the last person through as I watched, you know, people in the same start as me finished 20 minutes before. Fascinating. I don't know how that's possible. Your superpower. The Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Fund, commonly referred to as the MRL Fund, is your association's premier benefit offering. This successful self-insured program was established in 1992 to help members control their long-term workers' compensation costs. Owned and operated by its members, the MRL Fund offers the same protection as an insurance company, but with many unique benefits and savings not available elsewhere. With industry-specific claims management and lower expenses, the fund passes the savings back to its members. The MRL Fund has returned $107 million back to its members since its inception, with over $7.4 million returned in 2023. This represents a 48% average return back, which is a substantial savings. The MRL Fund offers its members numerous loss prevention resources and loss control programs that are specific to the hospitality industry. This training has a strong focus on creating a safety culture in the workplace by educating owners and supervisors on ways to prevent accidents and keep their employees free of injury. For most members, the substantial savings is the primary reason why they insure with the MRL Fund. It has proven to dramatically reduce the overall costs of their workers' compensation insurance year after year. The MRL Fund is available to both large and small hospitality operators in Michigan. For more information, contact the MRL Fund at 800-686-6640 or visit mrlfund.org. Okay, moving forward, Pineapple Plaudits have some fun stuff to talk about in there. Start off with Larry Bell, the founder of Bell's Brewery here in Michigan, has established the Larry Jet. Larry J. Bell Support Fund for Beverage Education with Michigan State University. He donated $20,000 to create the fund with the Board College's School of Hospitality Business, specifically for their hospitality beverages class. I found this interesting because it's obviously Michigan and industry specific, but we're also seeing a lot of investment from those in the brewing industry investing in that future and the education because Atwater did something similar. And we talked about it on this podcast a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, maybe. So that that was applauded because it's positive forward momentum for the hospitality industry and the beverage industry and the craft brew space. Larry Bell is the OG. I, I mean, he, he created uh, an industry in Michigan that to the scale it was that, that others a lot of others followed. And he also cashed out in a huge way when he sold a couple of years ago. So he is sitting on a pile. And uh, this is a, a smart investment in a way to give back. The brewing industry has been good to him. Uh, he's very good at it, which is why it was good to him. And so his his ability to give back and support this industry overall definitely deserves applauded. Larry is someone who's been associated with this association for a long time as well. He used to attend multiple of our trade shows uh, back in the day and was and has been a good collaborative partner over the years. Absolutely. Good to see that investment. Um, the next one on the list is your story from this past weekend. You went to the newly opened Lansing Shuffle. Finally. Yeah, I was a little behind on getting there. I did not make the big grand opening. Uh, shout out Jonathan Hartzell, who yes. had the vision and created Lansing Shuffle and also owner of Detroit Shipping Company. And, and the entire concept of the food halls and having several locations together in one place. Lansing Shuffle was jammed. It was a terrible weather day on Saturday. I didn't know if people would be out and the place was jammed. 
an early Saturday evening, and it's a unique. It is a unique crowd. You can come there with your kids and have fun. You can be a 21, 22-year-old eclectic person. You can be a group of middle-aged people. Uh, and all, all these people coexisting in this space, having a good time. It was it was a unique group of people. But yeah, I don't want to sleep on the fact that Irie Smoke Shack provided me the best wings I've ever had in my entire life. You what a statement. You got to try the uh, the curry smoked wings. Perfection. Shout out to Max Hardy. Good member, former DRLA board member, Max Hardy, who is the proprietor. He's got several places in Detroit as well. He, he's got something special there. I can't wait to come back and do lunch next week uh, in Lansing there. I'm going to probably have several lunches there. So Lansing Shuffle, nice job. Yeah, I'm excited for their patio right on the river this spring and summer too. It's a great place. Yeah, so it was it was great in bad weather. I can only imagine how much better it'll be when the like the actual shuffleboard is being played outside. You got a perfect day, a perfect perfect summer night. That'll be good. That'll be a good place to be. Absolutely. Okay, for Fork's sake, the Michigan Legislature is now on spring recess. For the next, well, I guess another week and this past week, and they'll return to Lansing on April 11th. Uh, We've discussed a lot of things moving rather quickly. Do you want to give a brief summary of where we stand on a handful of those things going into the spring break? Yeah. Sweet, merciful relief. Two weeks, no legislature. That's a good thing. They have been moving at record pace uh, doing some things, some of the things that we support and and have endorsed and collaborated with Democratic leadership on others, not not as fond uh, of, but it, they are moving quickly. So two weeks to take a breather here is is a good thing to assess uh, what the first quarter has been like and and then what might be coming. But obviously the big the big headline with right to work and uh, repeal and prevailing wage bills being signed by the governor rather quickly. I mean she did not she did not wait. She didn't sit on didn't uh, reflect, got those bills, signed them immediately. And it shouldn't be too surprising. They got that through the process fairly easy, easier than I thought might be possible, given the very narrow majorities. And it's a top priority for for the governor and this legislature. So they got that through. We've talked already about about the potential impact to this industry uh, going forward on not having the freedom to choose uh, going forward. Again, though, this is not going to go into effect. It did not get immediate effect, not going to go into effect until 90 days after this legislature adjourns. So we got a little bit of a breather there and there's still that possibility. There's there's some chatter around town about a constitutional amendment uh, onto the 2024 ballot that would enshrine right to work right within the constitution. I thought it was funny during the, a lot of the Republicans, frankly, brought up we, to, to go back to where we started talking about the Howard Schultz hearing how many Republican senators brought up right to work and yeah. the importance of, of employees having the right to choose, especially as they referenced in this industry where where people are, are, especially the younger ones, are more transient and are not viewing this as a career, but a great job to have while they're in college or shortly after college and building towards a career. You can have a great career in this industry. There are just many people who view this as a position uh, that they have for a while before they before they find a different career. So, so fascinating discussion there all the way around, right to work, a discussion nationally at the time. Other things, we talked about the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Bill getting across the finish line. That is something we did collaborate with the sponsors of the bill. Uh, shout out to Senator Jeremy Moss and and something that is is, is good for this industry uh, and its workforce uh, as well. So 
a lot more to come in the in the future here, but it's been a, a busy spring. And what is on the agenda and what are the priorities for the industry when they get back here, you might ask, but I'm going to ask it. So when we get back, the budget is is going to be front and center finally. Pure Michigan continually a priority for this association. $25 million was the proposal uh, from the governor this year. I don't think it's enough. I think we had substantially more under the Snyder industry, or excuse me, the Snyder administration. And uh, I, I think I, we're going to advocate for something closer to $40 million. Uh, whether or not we can get there or not, money for the first time in a long time seems like it's actually getting a little tight in Michigan. Uh, I know that there's a, a swath of, of reserves that have not fully been appropriated yet, but it feels like they've been accounted for in nine, nine different ways. Right. But we, we don't get triggered. There's still, there's still ROI out there that there's still uh, that that investing in a great marketing campaign in a bigger way will have benefits to the entire economy, not just this industry. So and I think we'll continue- our I think our guest today will have some insight on that as well. We're going to continue to make that case. And yes, I think you, I think Trevor Takash will do a great job talking about Pure Michigan. And we're still working on short-term rental. I think there's a great coalition moving towards introduction of actual bills, bills that more reflect what this industry has been saying for a long time in terms of parity uh, on short-term rentals. I think ter- Trevor's going to have a lot to say. Traverse City is like ground zero for all things short-term rental. So I'm eager to have that conversation as well. And we're getting close. I would expect before they they break for summer recess, knock on wood, that the sunset on the cocktails to go legislation is formally removed. Uh, we've had great movement and progress on that issue so far, almost across the finish line. Yeah, I don't know anyone who disagrees with that one. So hopefully we can check that off the list. Also, May 10th, do a slight plug. We do have Capital Day, Emerald Capital Day for the industry to come to Lansing, meet with their legislators and make their voice heard. So more information available on our website. But if you are a member of this association and want to be involved in that, please join us. Yeah, you need to. Capital Day is going to be huge this year. There are a lot of issues that will be coming up and have a real chance to pass that we haven't talked about uh, in, in the past. And so there is a lot, there are a lot of new legislators. There's obviously new legislative majorities. I think we need to come out in a very big way for this industry and make clear what our priorities are, what it takes for this industry to succeed and uh, and how the decisions those elected officials make will impact to the bottom lines of, of the workers and the operators in this industry. So big day, we need a big number uh, to help make our case. May 10th. Absolutely. All right, let's get into our interview welcoming President and CEO of Traverse City Tourism, Trevor Takash. At Gordon Food Service, we believe in the power of good food to bring people together and make moments special. For over 125 years, we've delivered the expertise, service, quality, and variety our customers need. At Gordon Food Service, customers are at the center of everything we do. Gordon Food Service, here for good. All right, Trevor Takash from the president and CEO of Traverse City Tourism joins us today. Takash grew up in Traverse City, attended Traverse City Central High School and Northwestern Michigan College before earning his bachelor's degree at Eastern Michigan University. After graduation, he worked as an account executive and later as senior account executive with the West Michigan Whitecaps baseball team in Grand Rapids. And in 2011, he received an MBA from the University of Michigan at Flint. He joined the National Cherry Festival in 2007 as the business development manager and was named interim executive director in 2011, a job that was made permanent in 2012. 
Takash was named president and CEO of Traverse City Tourism in 2016. He's previously served on the MRLA Board of Directors. Trevor and his wife, Trisha, love living in Traverse City with their three children, Lauren, Camden, and Carson. Trevor, welcome to the show. Hi. You slept on the best part. The best part. Trevor was the first ever CVB director to be on the MRLA Board of Directors. He set the, he set the tone for all future CVB oh, leaders. Man. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I think about it. I, I, I reflect fondly on that experience, and I'd love to have an opportunity to be on the board again. But I also will say that part of my term was during COVID. So I feel like I got gypped out of a year, and I really want that year back. That's a good point. <laughs> Listen, I think you're, you're, you're warming up that opportunity by being here today. Uh, and you were great, though. Honestly, there are so many people on the restaurant side post-merger that didn't understand the CVB world at all. And you did a fantastic job of explaining that to them as we tried to coalesce into a sort of one more cohesive hospitality industry. There was a lot of education that needed to be done and you took a lot of time to make sure they they understood. So we appreciate that. Yeah, it was it was a good experience for me. I learned a lot, obviously, about the restaurant side too in that endeavor. And it was good dialogue whenever we'd get in the boardroom and you've got, you know, a really talented staff and 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 for lobbying firm and and there was just a lot of great minds sharing a variety of ideas and and thoughts and then looking at things through a different lens perhaps than they had before so i i really enjoyed that those first couple of years uh after the merger so yeah very fond memory well we're excited that you're here with us today uh we're excited to have a good conversation about traverse city the one of the most iconic places in michigan and emily's got the first question yeah. So for our listeners uh, across the state or out of state, can you give your best description of the uniqueness of Traverse City and describe its current state of the travel and tourism sector in northern Michigan there? Yeah, I'm guessing most of the listeners do know Traverse City, but you know what I like to hang my hat on. Wait, is... listen, listen, Trevor, tra- we have listeners across the globe, <laughs> across the globe. No, I, I I believe that, and um, and it's funny because you know we we host a lot of people from across the globe, so this is apropos. We were actually just talking about a familiarization tour that's coming in from Europe in a couple of weeks, and we looked at the itinerary, and I'm like, we're not we're not playing our best hand here. Like we have to get them to the water. We have to get mm-hmm. them to the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Lakeshore. We had a real uh, the itinerary was cool. There's a lot of cool stuff to do here, but I'm like. When I go to talk about Traverse City to the rest of the world, it's it's about the outdoor recreation. It's about the beaches. It's about the dunes. And it's about the agriculture. I mean, a lot of towns will claim to be foodie towns. We really are a, a farm to table town. Michigan has the second most diverse agriculture of all 50 states. And we've done a phenomenal job of growing, you know, some certain fruits and vegetables that are very unique and fun. The cherry is a fun fruit and we're the cherry capital of the world. And we're doing a, a great job producing high quality wine now. We've got more than 40 wineries. It's each each winery is an experience unto itself. So there's a lot to explore on the Leelanau and Old Mission peninsulas. And, and we're just surrounded by absolute stunning beauty everywhere you turn. So the vistas are amazing at those wineries and restaurants and getting out on the trails. I, you know, I, I'm lucky to live here. It's it's easy for me to talk about. But I if I when I didn't live here, like all I would think about is getting back here and enjoying the surroundings. So easy pitch for me to talk about this. And there's a lot of places to stay. Uh, it's very important to bring up the lodging part of this. We've got there you go. a lot of opportunity uh, in a variety of opportunities, right? We've got 
some high-end resort experiences, more affordable economy, opportunities for families, for people on a budget. And, you know, we've got short-term rental options. We've got waterfront stuff. We've got, you know, higher, higher star properties you can get into. So there's a lot and there's more coming. There's a lot of cool stuff to do here, man. A lot yeah, of good stuff. See, this is what I do is going to happen. We're not in the same room. We can't, we can't, we can't play off each other of who's up. I want to know. Uh, so you're right. Short-term rental is surging in Traverse City. And we're going to get to there. That's obviously a discussion. You can't talk about Traverse City without talking about that issue. But there's also eight new hotels online to to open up, right? In the in the coming uh, months and, and, and over the next two years. Is it is already such a destination. Is there that much unmet demand out there that suggests that this much growth is sustainable? Because that excites me. Uh, that, that is a lot of growth coming in a short amount of time to Traverse City. You know, Justin, I can say with confidence, three months out of the year, yes, there's enough demand to fill those <laughs> hotels. And we, you know, we can chuckle about it. And that's cool. And it's funny because everybody knows, you know, where else do you want to be in, in summertime, Northern Michigan? We all know it. And Traverse City is the beacon for that. So adding a thousand more hotel rooms, I mean, we'll gobble that right up, you know, but it's the other nine months that I wring my hands over and that that's going to take a lot of work. And it's not just the Traverse City tourism team that works on that, you know, collectively the the property managers and, and owners, we're being very thoughtful about what steps we need to take moving forward as a region to have, you know, legitimate demand 365 days a year. Summer's the easy play, you know, trying to get the conferences and meetings back online to where they were pre-COVID is it's essential right now. Trying to expand our product line, product development to have more indoor experiences like indoor sports uh, and indoor attractions. You know, doing more to diversify why people would would come, give them more reasons to come here because we've got we've got the inventory. And if, if the rooms go unsold, as you know, there's an expiration date on these. I can't keep inventory uh, on the shelf, once once the clock hits midnight, we we reset. So you have to sell it in the moment. And yeah, I, I'll be honest, I it's the demand's not there yet. It's not like if we went if we had to turn all those new hotels on today, I don't think there's enough demand to keep all the hoteliers solvent. I really don't. And that's why we have to continue to work together moving forward to drive the demand in the seasons that have the room for growth. I mean, it's just, it's economics. It's simple, simple business, right? You, you have to have the demand or you can't stay in business. You're so good at putting up segues because that's another good segue. We want to talk about Pure Michigan and not being where I think ultimately we 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 could be, that we have not hit a ceiling or a saturation point. But before we even get to that, will you put it into perspective for people? Because it always is, is fascinating to me, the actual population of Traverse City, which seems like a Mecca, which seems huge, but is really quite small. But put in perspective how big it swells to in peak season, how small sure. it can contract to when it's when it's at the the lowest of the low and, and the challenges that you, you know, just try to put in numbers perspective what you just talked about. Yeah, it's it's a I probably won't know all the numbers perfectly, but the city of Traverse City is a pretty small uh, region, small geographically. There's only 15,000 of us that live in the city limits. 15,000 people live in the city of Traverse City. Grand Traverse County 
has roughly 100,000 people. So it is becoming more of a micropolis, I think is what they deem it as. Ooh. And then the region is Name only drop. like 100. Micropolis, nice. Micropolis, that's right. But we are kind of the metro center for Northern Michigan. We've got the hospitals, we've got the banks, we've got a lot of the amenities that people need. So they come here. And 35,000 people actually work in Traverse City, which is kind of crazy to think about all this influx of people coming in and going out every day into the city. But the region's only about 150,000, which kind of helps you understand it. It, it, these other surrounding counties are extremely sparsely populated. You know, it's like Benzie County's less than 20,000. Leelanau's pretty low in the 20s and in and, and Kalkaska and, and Antrim, very, very low population. So which puts a strain on the workforce. We, we don't have probably enough workers to at this point to manage all the demand that will come. And we'll probably talk about that in this segment as well. But in the summertime, not only are there the transient guests that we see at our hotels and short-term rentals, which, you know, any given day, you know, thousands of people are coming into those, but there's a lot of people who own seasonal homes too, right? And we're seeing those converted into more short-term rental and seasonal homes, but there are still some, I mean, the, the core of, of what kind of kicked off this region as a tourism destination wasn't necessarily a, a boom of hotels. It was people buying a seasonal home here. And you see it all up the shoreline from Traverse City, further south in Traverse City, but definitely from Traverse City up to Charlevoix and Petoskey, all these giant summer homes. And these people come in and they spend a lot of money. You see it now at the horse shows, uh, which has become very popular here in Traverse City. And those people are buying the homes now just to have second, third, fourth home. So the population does swell significantly. So we'll have hundreds of thousands of people potentially in the same region that normally is about 150,000. So it can it's a it's a culture shock when it first starts to swell up it, it, being a native here i revel in it because i know you know every every time i have to sit more than one click through a light that's that's money but those are people in our town spending good hard-earned cash and that's what keeps us all employed here man and you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad i know traffic can be a challenge but i was just in detroit brother let's talk about traffic you know <laughs> uh, i'm gonna let you choose your own adventure because you set up the opportunity side perfectly. But talk to me about the, we, we, you, you hinted on some of these challenges. What is the largest challenge for Traverse City, given what you, you have the opportunity of, of an absolute jewel of a location, but is it workforce? Is it housing? I know they're interrelated, but what is your number one challenge as you're trying to problem solve your way to make sure you can, you can meet that demand? Yeah, it's workforce. It's all workforce. You know, even if we had more housing, more childcare, more everything, there there just aren't enough people here to heat to take care of the peaks. So when you're in the throes of July, and I mean, it's not like hotels, the hospitality has an exclusive right to a seasonal workforce. I mean, the farmers are trying to find workforce. Uh, your, you know, the restaurants and and even, you know, the medical profession and other other areas of public service are on high demand. In, in the summer months more than others. So we have this unbelievable increase in, in need. So we it doesn't matter how much a person pays. It doesn't matter how much, you know, you how much more you can incentivize a staff. There, there just isn't another human to take the job. Like you're just moving people from one place to another. So when McDonald's puts out that they're going to pay $20 an hour and then Burger King does $21 an hour, it's not like a new person just Popped up in Traverse City to take the job. They just walked across the street to take the extra dollar. So collectively, we're not we're not making enough progress in, in growing the population to meet the demand. 
we do solve that in a variety of ways. One, we try to keep people more fully employed, which does come down to childcare. And we we help support the TriShare program that the state offers for childcare, where we cover, Traverse Tourism cover a third of our members' costs, hotel members' costs for their employees who have childcare needs. The the state covers a third and then they the, the individual only has to cover a third of what would be potentially an expensive endeavor. So that's out there. But how does that work, by the way? Like we we love that and have supported oh. that 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 in concept. We've worked with yeah. Grand Rapids and you and talking about this when we talk to elected officials and Lansing about it. How has it been in practice in Traverse City? It works. I mean, we do have people who take advantage of it. And the state actually has expanded accessibility to this program, seeing that there's far more families that have a need here than what they initially anticipated. So we do have people who have taken advantage of it. I still think it's a hard one for people to wrap their heads around. So I I don't know if people are taking full advantage of it yet, although we keep promoting it. The other limitation, uh, Justin, is that we don't have enough childcare. So just because we're helping to pay for it, just like every other area, there's limited workforce in, on the childcare front too. So that's why the other piece I wanted to share uh, a, a need for is we need reform on migrant work. We need reform on immigration uh, and migrant work opportunities. The H-2B program has been an essential part of the tourism economy in Michigan for a very long time. Mackinac Island depends on this. Traverse City depends on this. Uh, a lot of the more resort type towns depend on this because we have an influx. And I'll even say we we have properties that take advantage of this in the wintertime. But Crystal Mountain is going to need more employees than Benzie County has during sure. the ski season. And, and, There's a little and so less pressure you... on the winter too, right? There, these are split, right. H2Bs are split between two seasons. The, right. the massive influx of applications for the summer season makes it really challenging. I mean, we've right. been talking about this on Mackinac Island for forever. Traverse City seems more engaged on this than ever before, Because, but the demand is far. I mean, it was already that five years ago, the demand was dramatically outpacing supply. Now it feels like you've doubled the amount of demand out there without really dramatically increasing supply. And it's a challenge. hundred percent. And COVID locked it all down for a minute. And so now you're trying to rebuild a workforce. That's a, you know, a traveling workforce that when these, these visa workers come into market, they're not just coming to Traverse City, like you were kind of pointing out, they're probably going to flip around seasonally. They might end up in Colorado. They might end up in Florida, you know, depending on where the demand is and who, you know, who lands their their request. I mean, really, it's a, it's a giant lottery system that a lot of properties get into. And I will say what we've done you know, collectively, not not collectively is probably the wrong way to put it. We've talked collectively about the importance of having the housing for the H2B and J1 also J1, the other visa option for for education visas. They have to have housing once they get here. And I we've been working hard to try to solve that. And independently, the properties, the hotels are starting to solve. And I think some restaurants are too, where they are building housing. Grand Traverse Resort and Spa is building a huge complex. And it, I'm optimistic they'll actually outbuild their need where other other hospitality businesses might be able to take advantage of that housing for their H2B workers. So, and others, Crystal and, and other uh, hotels have, they do it quietly normally. They don't talk too much about it. They're not looking for some sort of pat on the back, but every time they build these, it's maybe one less unit that they're going to take up in an already strained housing market. You know, if they're not taking a, a, a duplex and putting eight people in it anymore, and that goes back on the market for locals to be able to take advantage of, and they can put those put those 
H2B workers into a, a separate dormitory that they've built, they've done this market a huge favor because we are like every other market. We're really strapped for housing. Well, I'm going to be in D.C. three times over the next uh, month and a half. And, and this is going to be at the, at the core, both for advocating for hotels and for restaurants and sometimes for both. It's in its nascent stage, but we're really pushing in D.C. on what's now called the Essential Workers for Economic Advancement Act. It's sort of like an H2C. So it is a hospitality industry specific visa and and it gives us the ability to to keep people here and then have them be able to come back a few years in a row. But it's the the, the core, we can go into a lot of details or we can just leave it at the at the introductory stage, because frankly, the legislation is at its introductory stage. But the idea is that this industry specifically needs because it it, it needs the most, it has the most flex. Uh, workforce of, of any industry out there, its own visa program that is not splitting. As you talked about before, H2B is split between numerous industries, and it makes a real challenge of who's going to actually get what from a very limited pool. So this creates a specific pool. It has a lot of demands on the employer to meet, but it is specific to this industry, and it has a returning program for people to come back for several years. So I think there's a lot coming on this, but I think we're at the point where hotels restaurants are, are really need to start advocating specifically for a separate and new waiver uh, or excuse me visa what, that's just for them what na- what's the name you have on this the ewea the essential workers for economic advancement act all right i like the sounds of this you got to send me something emily or justin send me something after this i gotta i gotta know more about it because this is that i mean this is what we need we need to talk about these things in dc but i, I gotta ask you a question back i mean is there an appetite for this conversation in a world where you know we're we're bringing everything you know back back uh, in in country where we're less of a global uh, more more I don't know it just seems like maybe there's it might be a challenge to get DC to pay attention to an opportunity like this. Well, you say comprehensive immigration reform and people go running for the hills in the other direction, <laughs> and so this is a bite-sized approach. And there's frankly never been more sympathy for where the industry is because of what it went through through COVID and, and is still, frankly, dealing with, right? Uh, we still in Michigan are, are a long cry from where we were workforce cumulative numbers in the state from, from where we were. And so an understanding that some some special dispensation for this industry to make sure it's it's got its legs beneath it is is it has more saliency than, than normal. Uh, does that mean like anything else that's going to get through Congress in fast fashion? Probably not. But the discussion is the early discussion has been positive. Uh, we'll send some more talking points, but it does seem like this industry is at a point where relying just on H2B, which we've advocated for for a generation plus, it might not be the best avenue long term for hotels, for restaurants. And so this is an, an early foray. But, uh, you know, let's team up on this one. I love it, man. Just let me know. Uh, we're going to be out there in a couple of weeks as well. So happy to help. Oh, good. All right. Perfect. I love it. All right. I have monopolized a lot of this conversation. (laughs) Emily is still here. Emily, hit us with a question. At least you're self-aware about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we talked a little bit about Pure Michigan funding, but I think there's a lot more that we can get into there when you said needing to bring people back for the winter seasons and, and the off seasons. My head immediately goes to, you know, that's why Pure Michigan funding is so important. It's We talked about it earlier in this episode. You know, it's a priority to establish that as a permanent part of the budget every year. But can you, from your perspective, talk about Pure Michigan funding and how that impacts your your role in Traverse City and the state overall? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Pure Michigan opens doors for a lot of the destinations in this state. 
Uh, it's it's that ongoing, constant drumbeat that we can all kind of follow. So when you look at a Detroit or a Grand Rapids, a Traverse City or an Ann Arbor, Bay Area, Petoskey, Mackinac Island, we're all following Pure Michigan in some way, shape, or form. We're not all doing it the same way. Pure Michigan has a wide portfolio of opportunities to access. So for a Traverse City, we like to play the leisure hand first. So we like to partner on the marketing and make sure that Traverse City is top of mind uh, for a lot of leisure travelers because we believe our leisure is what's going to convert into, into group down the road. Like we lead with the leisure knowing that that'll help open doors for a destination that's probably lesser known than a metro area, potentially. But the state also, the, the Pure Michigan program also offers international marketing opportunities, offers group sales opportunities. They've been kind of the backbone for all of us to come together and work collectively on trying to keep this segment of the economy strong. And it, and it really is what what's often lost or maybe pushed aside or not take it, being taken for granted that everything starts with a visit. Like there, there is no more important thing for a state that's trying to build back up that really wants to grow. How do you plan on doing that when I think we are losing population? Right. We are, we are not gaining, we are losing. And that we see our, our elected officials putting money into these great programs to build new factories and build new uh, you know, reinvent itself uh, on the automotive front, which is super awesome. But you got to have people to do this this work, man. Like you got to have the workers. So, how do you get them? You gotta you gotta entice them to live here. They gotta want to live in Michigan. And it's the same things that encourage somebody to want to move here and live here, or invest here, or go to school here. Are the same reasons you go on vacation here, guys. Like this isn't rocket science. But I do think it's the most missed, uh, or or there's just a lack of connection between. The idea that Pure Michigan is not, a, it really isn't a tourism-driven decision. It's its a state, esprit de corps thing, where it's keeping us proud as Michiganders to live here, and it's making everyone around us wish they were here. You want to be the most popular. You want to be the coolest. And for a minute, Pure Michigan was up there. I feel like we've, you know, it's waffled a little bit. And I, I think, you know, because it's been divisive, because we haven't been consistent on the funding, it has it has hurt it. And I think collectively, I'm optimistic we can get everybody back on the same page that we need to keep funding this. It shouldn't be a fight every year. This is a small number in the grand scheme of things to invest to ensure that we are drawing the workforce and the investment we need to keep the state strong into the future, not just in tourism, but across all sectors. I think as Pure Michigan grew over the Snyder era, somewhat surprisingly, I don't think people necessarily thought when he was surprisingly elected in 2010 that this was going to be a focus of his. I think your reference specifically to how do you recruit people to want to come live and work here? How do you pull people in in a state that has either been hemorrhaging or at best holding steady its population for decades now? That That's what he was sold on. I mean, it, it, tourism was certainly a part of it, that there was a, a business proposition and ROI there but that he needed a campaign as much to try to bring workers in. And it was, it, while it was a surprise to people, the fact that he continued to increase year after year after year, we've got to find a way to convince this administration that there's value beyond just the idea of travel tourism as well, as, as much as I still think that there's work to be done to improve uh, this industry in their in their mindset. But that, that, that Pure Michigan, as you had said, is so much bigger than just the idea of only travel tourism. And we're going to need it on a lot of fronts. 
hundred percent. And, and I think part of the evolution of the Pure Michigan brand, if you will, or, or the campaign, maybe more specifically, is you're starting to see them fold in more of the metro experience, more of the urban experience. And I, I think Detroit is on the rise. I think Grand Rapids has a great product. A lot of times the, the, we went heavy on the natural aspects of our state because it is really unique. I mean, we're a great, we are the Great Lakes state. Of course, we want to talk about those things. But I think it's, we're at a point now where we can start to fold in some of these other voices. And you'll see it. If you haven't seen the new Pure Michigan campaign, the television campaign, it, it showcases exactly what I'm talking about, that we are a very diverse state that has a lot of opportunity for a visitor or for somebody who wants to relocate and have a just a broader experience. We have a, a really awesome state here. And, and I think a lot of times that's lost, but the story is a strong one. And I, I truly believe this new campaign will make change. Okay, let's pivot. We've, we've gone long. These answers have all been good, but we really want to have the short-term rental conversation. We always yeah. talk about here from the industry perspective and creating parity and fairness, but Traverse City also feels like ground zero for what, what short-term rental can do to a community. And just talk about the level of growth of people purchasing homes, pivoting them into short-term rentals and what that's done to the housing stock and, and what that's done to the community in and around Traverse City. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, you know. So we represent some short-term rentals, but not all of them. Our public act that allows us to, you know, collect an assessment from guests and, and do our work is kind of an awkwardly written, like every other piece of legislation. It's got, you know, loopholes or bumps in it that don't quite make a lot of sense to everyone, but we try to make them better. My thinking on short-term rental has really evolved over the past five years. I think the initial shock of it scared all of us. It's like, oh no, what's happening to my neighborhood? In reality, what's really happening here is people are trying to figure out what their property rights really are. What can I actually do with my property? What is a business and what is just my right? You know, like, can I make it a restaurant or, or can I make shoes in my house or can I rent it out? You know, like we're, we're, we're really thinking this through now. It's, it's really evolved. And while I think there was an immediate like shock here, and I think there's certain areas that probably been more affected by short-term rental than others in our area, you run the numbers in Grand Traverse County, and it probably makes up three, maybe at peak season, maybe 5% of our total housing stock. Think that through. Like it's probably not having this unbelievable impact that people think it's having. For one, it's it's a small percentage. Two, it's not consistent. And three, it's a lot of people who own a home who are just putting it on the market during Cherry Festival or Film Festival to make enough money to pay for their mortgage, right? So it's not like this is a consistent turned on thing. The other thing that's really changed, the the, the demand is kind of like kind of flattening out on the short-term rental side. It has it wasn't as strong last year. Just in, you can see it. You can look at the st the statistics. Yeah, talk about that because it was catastrophic or catastrophic. It was exponential and catastrophic. Depends on who you are. It was exponential <laughs> growth for for several years in a row. But you're right. It does seem to be flatlining a little bit here. And do you think that's where it goes going forward? Yeah, I, it, for a lot of reasons. You know, we, we've seen about twenty percent growth of supply year over year for the past six or so years in tra in the Traverse City area. Which sounds like a lot, and it is, but you're also starting to see the demand kind of even it out, which means now either the rates are coming down or people are going maybe a couple of weeks without renting where they would have been full in the past. So that will probably flip people's thinking about the investment. Interest rates are high if if they've you know if if they've kind of leveraged themselves out there a little bit and they can't get get this rented at the rate they expected. Now they're in trouble. 
So I'm going to I'm predicting that you'll start to see things flip back into more permanent ownership. But I would say, too, that there's I think people have just gotten comfortable with the idea that if the ordinances or regulations or zoning allow, you know, if if necessary, I think a lot of people want the option to be able to turn on short term rental. That the, the other thing that I think is often lost in this conversation is when it comes to the housing stock issue and the fact that we have the missing middle or, you know, affordable housing or workforce housing. I can almost guarantee you the majority of these houses on short-term rental would not be an equivalent in that case, right? So if you have a home on Glen Lake that you rent in short-term rental, it is not going to all of a sudden turn into an affordable home if you put more regulation on that. That home was always going to be used for something other than affordable housing. So when we think about the workforce and what we're trying to do here, the stock that gets pulled out for short-term rental normally isn't the stock that you need for the workforce. However, the caveat is this, in Traverse City and other areas where you have uh, maybe a commercial district or an area that allows for condominiums, this is, I think this is the biggest challenge for a city like Traverse City, as we've seen a number of really nice developments pop up downtown condominiums that arguably probably could be a workforce or could maybe be a you know a starter spot for a couple or or something like that a lot of those are being used for short term rental at least for part of the year and i think that's i i think that's hard a hard pill to swallow cuz it's 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 like a micro hotel that's popped up that isn't being treated like one which makes it hard for it and for us to manage regulate to like understand I, but i also think that communities like ours are evolving our thinking and we're coming up with new ways if workforce is what is that if that's the focus of our elected officials in our city you can design an environment where you encourage that type of development so you know if we want to build condos that turn into short-term rentals we can do that if we want to build condos that turn into more workforce housing there's ways to do that Trevor, we got to get you into elected office. You're you have masterfully navigated all of the parties that play here uh, expertly well. So, uh, and, and I'm glad that you didn't write the idea that short-term rentals are somehow evil in and of themselves is 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 off base. And and I hope that we never convey that. But it has expanded a lot. Do you think a statewide solution in some sort of legislative package is necessary? And then, what do you think needs to be part of that? If so. Yeah, I love that question. I I don't think it's a top priority of in Lansing in general. It doesn't no. affect all communities the same way. It's affecting Traverse City, uh, or or let's say the I will say it's affecting Lake Michigan destinations more than any other part. Like fifty percent of all the short term rentals are right on on the water here on Lake Michigan, probably more than fifty now, and and so it's it's more urgent for maybe some of these communities i think a lot of them have solved it in their way or are still solving it in their own way putting caps at frankfurt actually is a great example you know a little old town in benzie county kind of figured it out and came up with a cap and you know they've got you know some some a fee structure that allows them to kind of control it and 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 there's a you know a three strikes are out sort of way of handling things too. So I think there a town like that that's really small had has kind of found out a way found a way to address it because it was important to them. There's a lot of cities in in our or villages in our state that could care less. They probably don't have short term rentals. They don't really care about this conversation. So do I think there'll be a statewide solution? I, I don't think there's one on the near horizon. The only way I could see it happening is if they tie bar it like we saw in the previous session, tie bar it to affordable housing. Like if somehow there was 
like we got to address this because we think it's, but I think there's been enough proof that it's not, they're not really correlated. So you're going to what vilify short-term rentals and make them pay for affordable housing. Cause somebody bought a lakefront house and is going to rent it. I don't, I don't see that. I don't think that plays well. I think that gets, well, I'll know. push back. I'll push back politely, respectfully, Trevor, always, yes. but only in that they short-term rentals are all benefiting and I'm not going to talk about the housing side. That's, that's tangential. It is related, but it's not to me still at the very, very core. They are all benefiting from Pure Michigan advertising or or your advertising, right? Traverse City Tourism doing a great job as as well, but not really paying into the system the same way that any hotel is. And that's when we say parity issue, that's that's what to me it is, that they are benefiting without actually paying into a system. And as, as we're talking about, we need solutions for Pure Michigan. We've always advocated, why not find a stable non-general fund source to to do that from from an entity that's benefiting from travel and tourism advertising, but not but not participating in that game. Yeah, I and I agree with you 100. percent I but I, I'll go back to my point was I think if it comes up as a topic again, it's probably more likely to come up as a housing topic than it is a funding topic. I like your approach, and I'm I'm really hopeful that's where it goes because that's where it should have been from the beginning. If you take money from a say a certain sector, it should go back to benefit that sector. If it's an assessment, that's the law. You can't even do it any other way. If you right. if it was a tax, you've got options. But if you're doing it like most of the CVB designs, like Traverse City Tourism, if we collect an assessment from anybody, the, those funds have to be, they have to go back to that group. They have, that group has to make the decision. So, or it has to go back to benefit that group. At least, let, let's say it that way. One so of the I, many I, challenges of this issue is that all CBBs, not quite exactly uniform, not all operating the same way and trying to carve a statewide, as you challenge, as you said, there's, there's a real challenge carving a statewide solution here with all the players. It does feel, though, at least that, and I think we're in agreement on this, the immediate threat that felt much more salient last year that local zoning could just be eliminated altogether is more or less off the table. Yeah, I would agree with that. And frankly, if you if you really dive into how you can, as a community, manage and control the the, the housing environment and short term rental environment, there are a lot of options, man. Like zoning is not there's not that is not the the silver bullet on solving this issue. Like Frankfurt's a great example. You can set other caps. You can put in other, you know, uh, limiting factors, noise pollution, actual pollution, constraints on how many people can be in a house at once. Like there's all these things and all these rules you can. The problem is a lot of these smaller towns don't have the uh, they don't have the the workforce to enforce these issues. You know, so you make a regulation and then you can't enforce it. It's a real challenge for the smaller towns, you know. So I don't know. I, I think we still have some things to sort out. I want I'd love to see parity. I'd love to see, you know, fairness and regulation. I think we're getting closer. And I'm I'm standing side by side with you on that belief that anybody playing in this game should be, you know, playing by the same rules. That, that's the only way it should ever be. Well, we're going to keep talking. I, I think you're right that this is not at the top of the legislature's agenda at the moment, and the dynamics have changed a, a little bit. But it's it's still a topic that 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 draws a lot of interest. It's going to be hanging out there until some sort of broader broader collaboration and and solution is is there. So we'll be at the table. You'll be at the table. We'll continue to have this conversation. All right, I'm going to let Emily get you out of here on the lightning round. Are you ready for lightning round? Man, all right. I'm out of coffee, so I guess I'm pumped up on caffeine. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. We'll hit them quickly. Also, I will say, I think we need to get Trevor at Capital Day, May 10th. I think that you need to be at the table for oh, that one yeah, as baby. well. I love your Capital Day. I, I <laughs> reveled in that. I think I only got to go the one time because of COVID, but oh man, it was so much fun. 
That was a good time. I want Yeah, please have me there. I'll send you some info. All right, lightning round. Let's get into it. What is your favorite season? The month of September is my favorite season. It's a transition season. I love it. I like that answer. I was about to tell you you're wrong. I thought for sure you'd say summer in Traverse City. <laughs> no, fall in Traverse yeah. City. It's Except it's the and- summer the summer fall transition. It's just it's a wonderful time. It's so cool. And people sleep on it because school starts back up and people's focus goes away. That's the best month of the year. You're right. It is. Also Justin's birthday month. So mine too. Oh. Uh, hey, birthday buddies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the last song that you listened to? Uh-oh. This is the lightning oh, round. Oh, geez. Well, I, I was listening to a, a, a book on tape, so I can't remember what the last song was I listened to. Uh, the book? Uh, think Again. It's a, it's really good. I've, I've got a copy of it, and then I started to listen to it because I couldn't. I was driving a lot. And it's a really good book about like changing your, your the way you're approaching issues and conflict. And I read a lot about these types of things because, you know, there seems to be a lot of conflict lately in the world and you try to find ways to manage conversations and and, and work for us and, and stuff to make sure everybody's happy and feels heard and, and have a safe environment for communication. I did not answer your question, Emily. I did a really like poor job. Are you, an, are, are you a subscriber to Audible? Yeah, that's where I I, that I had to switch it over to Audible because I just didn't have time to finish the book and I got to keep moving on, man. I can't, I get stuck sometimes and I can't finish a book and it's like, all right, I got a long drive and I'll just buy the book and listen to the rest of it, you know? No, I am a huge proponent of, of audiobooks. If you're on the go a lot, which I presume you are with the job, it, it is the best way to still take information in, still learn a lot while you're on the move. Yeah. I like it. That's a good okay. answer. That's not a bad answer. But I do remember the last song because it was on the treadmill this morning. I had on YouTube, it was Taylor Swift and it was an older one, like five or six years old. I don't know. I, I some Taylor Swift, it was Taylor Swift, but I can't remember. Was it a name. Taylor version? Was it, was it her owned remade version? That's an important I, discussion. An important no, it wasn't. Discussion. It wasn't a remade version. This was one of her. No, it was pre that. It was pre that. <laughs> can't remember the name Last show you streamed. Well, also on the treadmill this morning. Jeez, I spent a lot of time on the treadmill this morning. I watched, I, I started up the uh, the fourth season of Succession. Oh, yes. I love I that be, show, man. I've listen, been waiting can, for the right we'll time. We'll have an hour-long discussion on that if you'd like to uh, <laughs> afterwards. Excellent, excellent opening uh, episode. Emily, still not a, still not in on Succession. I need to give it a shot. I need. I haven't, I haven't even given it a shot, so I need to just start it. You won't be disappointed. It is, it's raw and it is so disheartening. Like you lose all faith in humanity, but it's entertaining. I don't know if that was the best sell. It is because it can be ridiculously cynical, uh, but then it's also bitingly funny. And then somehow has, somehow can be both those things while also carving out real emotional significant scenes. And to be all three is almost impossible. And they they managed to, to navigate it. Yeah, right. the cast is amazing, too. It's just a fun show to watch. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. This is not a lightning round, but we're having a great conversation. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. All right, last one. I hope this is tough. I tried to make it tough. What's your favorite Michigan city to visit other than Traverse City? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, I mean, within my own market, it's Frankfurt. I love Frankfurt. Yes, like, that's, that's so my- cool. That's the Emily the, argument. She, she the loves beach, it. The beach is enormous. Like it's those deep sandy beaches, you know, where you feel like you could be at the ocean and you get the waves like it's the ocean. You've got the break wall there. So you've got calmer water. If the water's too rough, you've got the lighthouse 
it's a it's got great food. Like the restaurants are really good. You've got Stormcloud Brewery right there. Like I'll just go spend a day there. And, and then you've got all this art and stuff around, like Gwen Frostic or the alpacas, or you go over to Crystal Lake on the other side and go to Rock's Landing. Like there is so much cool stuff in Frankfurt. This, I love is, this should have been, hey, if you could give an advertisement for something in your market that isn't in, in, in your CBB market that isn't Traverse City, what would it be? Then you nailed that question. <laughs> well, it, to be fair. All right. When I'm out on my market there, I do really love both Detroit and Grand Rapids. Uh, I lived in Grand Rapids for seven years. I went to school down in the Detroit market. So I lived down there for a few years. I mean, I just was there for took the boys down for spring break to, to Detroit, caught the Pistons. They had brought a buddy, never been to Detroit. And I'm like, oh, then we got to go see everything. And I walk them around and show them all the sights, you know, because it's fun. It's a beautiful town and Grand Rapids keeps growing and doing cool new stuff. I love, I like the big city and kind of mid-sized city appeal. We've got a lot of, we got a lot of cool options in our state, you know, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I would ask you if the Pistons won, but I think we all know the answer to that that question. It's been a long, long time since they've won a game. You know, we can only go up. (laughs) that's exactly right we are literally the worst team in the nba right now all right trevor takach thank you for your time your expertise and your perspective i appreciate you being on what's with the pineapple podcast thank you thanks trevor Uh